deal with all of that. But Acts chapter number 26, verses 22 through 32, we'll take up reading those ten verses. Having therefore obtained help of God. Of course, this is Paul standing before Agrippa, recounting what has transpired in his life from the time that he was breathing out threatenings and railings and persecutions and slaughter against the church to the time the Lord appeared to him on the Damascus Road and called him to be his disciple and an apostle and go forth and preach the gospel unto the Gentiles. So he tells him in verse number 22, Having therefore obtained the help of God, I continue... I'm sorry if I... I didn't give you the page number, but it's page 827 in the, in the uh, Pew Bible. I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great. Here he is this, this day. He's standing before a king. Witnessing unto both small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Christ should suffer. And that he should be the first that should rise from the dead. You know, that's interesting to think about. You know, we're not going to go there this morning. Those who died before the cross. You know, that's an interesting thought to think of. The Lord was the first to rise from the dead. You know, and I understand to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And we could be talking about our soul. And there's a lot of different things that we could mention there and talk about. But, um, you know, there are a lot of people that were seen that had departed, that were seen in the streets after the Lord raised from the dead. And, you know, how does, how does all that fit in? And that's, you know, I've never really done an in-depth study in, into that, but that's an interesting thought to think of. But, you know, it comes to your mind when you think about our Lord being the first to raise from the dead. You know, I know there's going to come a time, and I'm going to read the passage from Revelation, uh, the Lord willing, that has uh, something to do with that thought there. Um, but that He should be the first to raise from the dead, arise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and unto the Gentiles. There's a sense in which, spiritually speaking, all of us here this morning who know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior and been reconciled unto God through the blood of Christ, and you have been born again, and you've been given a new heart, you've been risen from the dead. Now we, we know the resurrection here that we see being spoken of. We think typically about our Lord's physical resurrection, and that's so... That's right. But we also need to think about the fact that we have been, we, we who were dead in trespasses and sins, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, hath he quickened. That word quickened, we were dead, word quickened means to make alive. He's made us alive. We were dead towards God. But we have, it's as if God said, just as he did in Lazarus, rise and come forth. Lazarus come forth. Lazarus had to get up. Yeah, we were dead towards God. God raised us up. And should show light unto the people and the Gentiles. Verse number 24. And as he thus spake for himself. And here's some responses to the gospel, okay? You know, think about it in this way. As he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. You're crazy. Much learning doth make thee mad. That word mad there actually means craziness. So you hear people use that, that term today. You're crazy. That's the, similar to what Festus is saying in Paul. What do you mean this man rose from the dead? What do you mean he saves people from their sins? What do you mean that he, that he suffered the wrath of God? 
upon the, the cross that that we might receive light and reconciliation and forgiveness of sins. You're, you're crazy. You're mad. Much learning has made you mad. Verse 25. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. The Lord's death, the Lord's, the Lord's trial, his, his, his death, His crucifixion, His resurrection, this wasn't done in a corner. And the most powerful nation upon the face of the earth, the Lord used as a tool in His hand you know, to, to bring about you know, our, our sacrifice through, the, through our Lord. And it wasn't done in a corner, it was done openly. The whole world, as it were, beheld it. Verse 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Verse 28, Agrippa says unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I'm hesitant in how to put any inflection upon that. Because there are different schools of thought on it. There's one side that says that Agrippa was sincere and earnest in saying, oh, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. You know, the, the evidence that you give, everything that you're setting forth, you know, I'm compelled to believe what, you, what you're telling me. And then, of course, there's the other side that says that Agrippa said this in a mocking way. You know, what are you doing trying to persuade me to be a Christian? You know, or in a mocking sense, you know, here's this man in chains before him. Here's all this, all this royalty around him. You know, all this, this great pomp that had that come in. Here's, here's the the Roman uh, governor that's there, and you know he's, you know, wanting to save face with him. Ha! Huh. Almost, Paul, you persuaded me to be a Christian. Look at you, that I'd be like you. And Paul does give an answer of some sort to that. I mean, if somebody said that to me, I mean, how I would respond to them would be similar to what Paul says here. Paul says in verse 29, I would to God that not only you, but everyone that hear me this day were both almost. You know, it's not enough to be almost. We're both almost and altogether such as I am except for these chains. You know, you want to mock me and I wouldn't have you be chained like I am, to suffer the things that I've suffered, but I would that you knew God as I know Him. And that you knew Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. Verse 30 says, And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with him, or with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. And then Agrippa said unto Festus, Again, both of them saving face here. They could have let Paul go. But, again, we, we see this, and we look at this, and we see this was ordained of God. This was what God's will was for Paul, that he be bound and not be released. And if God used the fear of men, or the fear of the Jews with Festus, or the fear of what Festus might think with Agrippa, or what Rome might think with Agrippa, if he were to recommend that Paul be released, whatever it may be, 
God chose to leave Paul bound to send him to Rome. This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. So they, they, had, they had a scapegoat. You know, they could escape letting Paul go. They could escape in their consciences not letting him go by saying, well, he's appealed unto Caesar. We've got to send him to Caesar. So here we have these ten verses here. And the prominent thing that comes before us is the reaction of Festus, I think, and the reaction of Agrippa. And Paul's answer unto um, them both, really, um, to the presentation of the gospel before him. So, you look here, we started verse number 22, having obtained the help of God, Paul says, let's pray. We, we need to obtain the help of God this morning. We need to ask the Lord to help us and speak unto us. This, this is not words of man's wisdom. That's not what we're, we're looking for. I don't have little letters behind my name, just degrees and you know, master's you know, degree from a seminary or this or that, that I might be able to impress you or impress upon you and almost persuade you with words of man's wisdom. That's not how man's converted. If anyone's going to come to know the true and living God, it's going to be because God creates faith in Him. At camp, someone preached upon, or no, I'm sorry, they didn't preach upon it. It was in the kitchen. Someone brought out the um, Syrophoenician woman and, and uh, her coming unto the Lord that her daughter might be healed and the Lord saying the bread is just for children. You know, it's not meat. It's not right. It's not just for me to give the children's bread unto dogs. That's what Gentiles were considered. And she said because faith had been created in her and the Lord knew that that was not going to turn her away. He knew that. Faith doesn't give up. Faith doesn't stop. You've ever... One image that comes to my mind, and this, this, this is... It's really silly. It doesn't even begin to compare. But I don't know if you've ever seen the little cartoon that was out for a while. You had this bird that was swallowing a, a frog. And the frog had his hands, you know, around the bird's neck. You know, you're not going to swallow me. The, bird, the frog's in the bird's mouth, but he's got his hands around the bird's neck. And you're not going to, you're not going to get me, you know. Um, there's a sense in which, you know, I, I think about that picture. I think about the fact this woman wouldn't be turned away. You know, the Lord just called her a dog. You're a Gentile dog. This isn't for you. But he had created faith in her. And she said, yeah, Lord, but all I'm asking for is just a crumb that falls from the table. You know, the children don't care about the crumb. You know, they've, they've, got, they've got the whole piece. And here they are. Have you ever had a plate full of food? And here you are eating it and a little crumb falls down? You reach down there and pick that up. Most of us don't. And the plate's there. We got the whole thing. Well, what do I need the crumb for? But all she wanted was just the crumb. Just give me the crumb, Lord. That's enough for me. If I could just get the crumbs that fall from the table. And he was impressed with that faith that he had created. It wasn't her faith. It was his faith. It was, the, it was God-given faith. It was the gift of God that was given to her that said... Give me a crumb, Lord. Just a crumb's all I want. That's all I'm asking for. Give me that would be enough. It's like the woman. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, you know, he didn't have to come to my house. You know, it's like the centurion, Lord. I command men. I tell a man to go here. I tell a man to go there, and they do, and they go. And I know you don't have to. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. And I know all you got to say is that my servant be healed, and he'll be healed. So this is faith that God gives. It's not. It's not man's faith. It's not something we've drummed up. It's not something we've built up and, and within ourselves. It's something that God has given us.
And because of that faith, we want to ask the Lord to, to help us and be with us this morning. Father, we, we turn to You this morning. And we, Father, we confess our need of You. We confess our need of Your Spirit. We confess our need of being taught of You and instructed of You. We confess our need, Father, of You coming into our presence and our midst this morning and glorifying Yourself and revealing Yourself and, and tabernacling, tabernacling, Father, with us uh, this morning. And, Father, just being excellent, as Brother Mike talked about already this morning, that You would be excellent among us, that You would declare Your name as excellent, that we would see Your name as excellent, that we would praise Your name as excellent this morning. Father, unless, unless, you, unless you reveal that unto us, Father, I, often I, I know I fail. Father, to see Your name as excellent as, a, as I ought to see it, I fail, Father, to, to praise Your name as excellent as it is, to see You as, as, an, as excellent a God as You are. And, and to be able to think like the psalmist uh, that Mike read unto us this morning already, Father, who art man? Thou art mindful of him. You being so great, so far above, so excellent, so holy, so righteous, so altogether different than we are apart from Christ and apart from the faith that you've given us and the life that you've given us, what are we that you should be mindful of us? Father, we just ask that you'd meet with us today, that you'd speak to us. Father, that you would that you would take hold of this mind this morning and these minds that are here before me, Father, and this tongue, Father, and these ears that are here before me, and that you would would rule and reign, and that you would speak, and that you would create faith, and that you would give understanding, and that you would glorify and magnify yourself, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You ever think about what we what we're reading about here that that Paul is is declaring unto Agrippa when he says unto him, you know, you Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And then he tells what the prophets proclaimed. I mean, go and go and see. You know, maybe today, get your concordance out and begin to look and and begin to try to discover. And find this. I mean, we, it's not hard to to find where the prophets foretold of a Messiah that would come, but but begin to to look at the things that the prophets foretold of um, in regards to the sense in which Paul is presenting it here. Um, what our Lord would would suffer. We know we can go to Isaiah, and we can see in Isaiah where it speaks of the Lord coming and and our iniquities being laid upon Him and. I wrote down the, the passage, and I can, I can read it to you. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 12, when Paul talks about that Christ should suffer, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. He goes on to say, We like sheep have gone astray, turned everyone to His own way. And the iniquity of us all. My sins. Your sins. Isaiah says. Were laid upon him. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. You know I don't, I don't know. I tried Wednesday night. And I kind of left the thought. I didn't finish it. 
I mentioned, um, I don't, were y'all with us Wednesday night? Remind. Um, I've ordered this, this uh, children's book that R.C. Sproul has, has put out. And he's, it's called The Prince um, and the Poison, I think. And, and it, what he's trying to do is to, is to present the gospel in a way in which the children can understand. And especially the thing that, that caught um, uh, my attention more than anything else is, is the way, you know, here's our Lord in the garden. He's praying. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And so he takes that thought and, and he presents the prince and this golden goblet that, that he has to go and, and he has to drink from this fountain that has been corrupted. You know, there in the garden was the tree and the Lord said, God told him, don't eat of this. The day you do, you surely die. And they all died towards God. And they built the city of man and the prince has to go into the city of man and there's this fountain that once you know, flowed with, with crystal clear, you know, pure water of life that's been corrupted and it's, and it's full of sin and it's full of unholiness and it's full of ungodliness. And if we can enter into the thing that, that, that Mike read and was presenting us to us this morning about the excellency of God and the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and that He's apart from sin, and there's no sin in Him. He's completely holy. He's completely completely pure and spotless. And you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, and there was no sin found in Him. To have to go and take that cup and put it into that corruption, put it into that filth. And you think about complete holiness you think about complete righteousness there being no sin found in him no spot to take that foulness and he goes in and describe the stench of it to take that foulness before it ever came to, to his, his lips he could already smell it he could already dread it you know I've often thought about Adam and to be in that state that he was in. To be in that uncorrupt state. And to be in that place where he had communion and fellowship with God. And he was there in the garden. He walked with God in the cool of the day. He fellowshiped and communed with God. To go from that. To die spiritually. To lose that. Incredible. I mean, what we see of him is him hiding himself from God. But think about just being in the very presence of God. I mean, that, that's, that's what you see there. In hiding, trying to clothe himself, being in the presence of God, who's pure, and holy, and righteous. And here you are, and you have a corrupt and a sinful and a wicked heart. And that's where he was. I mean, how comfortable do you think a sinner would be in heaven? How comfortable do you think a person that had not had been given a new heart, had not been redeemed, had not been born again, how comfortable would that person be in heaven? place where there is no sin a place where there's only pure undefiled righteousness and holiness no corruption and here you are corrupt wouldn't be a comfortable place for, for a sinner to be would be quite out of place but there was that cup and to have to take that cup to his lips and not only take that cup to his lips and drink of it but to drink to the very bottom 
You ever drank anything that didn't taste good? How willing were you, how eager were you to drink the last drop? There you know, something that, that you detested. Something that that is just not your flavor. I'm not interested in that. Other people like. But to drink it to the very bottom. That's just an incredible thought to think of. That our Lord taking that to Himself. No wonder there in the garden He sweat as it were great drops of blood and agonized over that. He was made sin for us. Isaiah said He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare His generation and cut off out of the land of the living in the transgression of His people? For that He was stricken. He made His grave with the wicked and with the rich in His death because He had no violence, neither was deceit in His mouth, yet it pleased the Lord. In fact, how excellent is God's name that it pleased the Lord to bruise His Son for our sake. The very thing that, that Mike was, Brother Mike was talking to us about this morning, in a sense, Brother Mark asked me to bring him devotion at, at camp, and um, I felt bad because I bumped Brother Woodruff. <laughs> Brother Woodruff showed up there that night, and usually that's the night that he brings the devotion. He showed up there that night and had his tie and everything on, and Somewhere or another found out that I was bringing the devotion. He came over and he told me. He said, you bumped me. And I said, I didn't mean to, brother. I didn't mean to. But believe it or not, I actually brought... I, I thought I stayed within 15 minutes. But I think I brought a devotion for about uh, 10 minutes. But it was upon that subject. Um, I was striving to, to keep it. I wanted to give the time to Brother Conrad. I wanted to hear from him. But then again, I wanted to bring that... The Lord had laid upon my heart. But it was in Psalm 40. And it talks about... God's thoughts towards us and how many they are. You know, I started out telling everybody, I mean, this, this book is full of God's thoughts towards you. If you're lost or you're saved, this book is full of God's thoughts towards you. Many they are towards us as His people. How many are the thoughts of God's toward, God towards us? How excellent is His name. What's God's thought towards us? This. That He would bruise His Son. That He might show us grace. He might show us mercy. He might show us forgiveness of our sins. That He would smite His Son that we might be healed. How excellent is that? You know, for us. How excellent God's name should be that it would please Him to bruise His own Son and put Him to grief and make His soul an offering for our sin. How excellent is that? That He should be satisfied with making the soul of His only begotten Son an offering for our sin. And by His righteous servant, Isaiah goes on to say, justify many because he would bear their iniquities verse 12 he goes on to say therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death 
And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the thing that Paul is declaring before Festus. Paul is declaring before Agrippa. Paul is declaring before all those that are there with them. Both small and great. John 8, 56, back to this thought of, you believe the prophets? Agrippa, you believe what the prophets say? Concerning the Messiah? Concerning the Christ? Concerning He that should come? John eight fifty six. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, the Lord told them. And he was glad. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we shouldn't be amazed, I guess, in a sense. But again, I, I think I mentioned this to you not too long ago about Job, one of my favorite passages. You know, here's this man. He lived before the cross. And again, it goes back to the thought of God creates faith. God gives understanding. And we shouldn't be amazed at these things. But I look at Job and him saying, I know my Redeemer liveth. That's incredible to me. I know my Redeemer liveth. He knew that. That he would know that. Before Christ even came, that he would know his Redeemer lived. David in the Messianic Psalms, how many places he speaks of our Lord. Psalm 22, he speaks to our Lord's being there upon the cross and the suffering that He endured for our sake, saying, I'm poured out like water, my bones are out of joint, my heart is like wax, it's melted within the midst of my bowels, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. He says, I can tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. And they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Incredible. He sets before them that Christ would be the first to raise, arise from the dead. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The path of life. Thou wilt show me the path of life. It made me think of John 10, verse 18. The Lord talked about the commandment that he received from his Father. He says, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down. I give it of my own accord. I have received power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my Father. John eleven twenty five through 26 Jesus said unto her at the tomb of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He asked that question there. Agrippa is being asked by Paul. Believeth? Do you believe this, Agrippa? Believest thou this? 
God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might through Him be saved. Festus says, You're nuts. You're crazy. You believe such things? The world looks at you and they respond this way. What is the matter with you? How can you believe such things? You know, Mike was talking about this. I mean, there was a... Think about the time in which here's David as king of Israel. How excellent God's name is. Here he's... I mean, there were enemies, sure. But how excellent God's name was. And they go forth and fight battles in, in the name of the Lord. And David, Lord, shall we... Shall we go up? From here? You wait. You listen for the sound of the rustling in the mulberry trees. Then you go. Now, how many battles have we fought? How many battles have we fought in, in, in that in that realm? You know, as a nation I'm talking about. How how excellent is God's name in our country at this time? That'll be pretty evident. I mean just over the the results from the election. How excellent is God's name today amongst the nation? Thou art beside thyself. Think such things. Paul says, No, most noble Festus, I am not mad. I'm not crazy. I speak words of truth. I was once mad, I was a madman. I was breathing out threatenings and railings and persecution and slaughter against the church. And I was imprisoning Christians and putting them to death and giving testimony against them. But now I'm, I'm very much sober-minded. I'm very much sane. And I speak the truth. You're crazy, Paul. Nobody rises from the dead. We die and that's it. It's all said and done. There's nothing afterwards. This is that passage out of Revelation I was telling you about that I wanted to read. Revelation 20, 12 through 15. And I saw the dead. Well, let me think about this. It's the small and great that Paul's testifying before. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. All are going to rise. All are going to rise. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Incredible to think about. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. How do you cast death and hell in the lake of fire? Do you think about these things when you read them? I'm just reading these things. It's incredible to think about death and hell being cast in the lake of fire. Only God can do that. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But you think about Festus and you think about his response and you think about 1 Corinthians 1.18 for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. Foolishness. This to Festus 
absolute and utter foolishness. You're mad, Paul. This is crazy. Who would even dream up such a thing? But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You can imagine Paul telling Festus, No, I speak truth in soberness. I speak the truth with soundness of mind. I'm quite sane, most noble Festus. I am more sane than ever I was before. I see the truth, and the truth has made me free. I was once enslaved to sin. You remember the passage that we read last Sunday, verse number 18, in our in the chapter we're in, Acts 26, there on page 826. The thing that God had done was to call Paul to rise and stand upon his feet after he appeared unto him. That great light shone round about them. The purpose for which he had called him was to make him a minister and a witness both the things he has seen and things that would be revealed unto him. And verse number 18 told us to open their eyes, the Gentiles to open their eyes <coughs> and to turn them from darkness to light <coughs> and from the power of Satan unto God that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me, that is Christ. Saying to Festus, the insane thing is for you not to believe. The insane thing is for you not to accept Christ. The insane thing is for you to reject the offering that God has made for your soul. To count it foolishness. And to reject God's provision. That's insane. To reject the mercy to reject the grace of God in Christ. But Festus counted it foolishness. The preaching of the cross? Who has a crucified Messiah? Who has a crucified King? Who has a crucified Lord? What is this you're talking about, Paul? This doesn't make sense. I mean, a king's supposed to be a mighty man. A king's supposed to rule and reign. A king's not supposed to be put to death. And you're saying that Creator, the Word which was made flesh. You're saying that God, robed in flesh, died? This doesn't make any sense. Foolishness, Paul. You would have a crucified God. All of our gods, they they are high above us, they rule and reign, they're not they don't die. He didn't believe it possible and thought it an incredible thing. So it seems. But Paul says, the king knoweth. Agrippa, you know. These things weren't done in the corner. You know these things that have been done. You believe the prophets. I know you do. I know you're familiar with these things. You remember we were there at the beginning of chapter 26 and Paul thinking himself happy. In verse number 2, Give an answer for himself, touching the things wherever he was accused. Especially, verse 3 says, Because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. So, that's why he could say, I know you know. I know you know these things. I know you're familiar with them. I know it's not such a stretch for you. I know it's not such an incredible thing to you as it is in the Festus. 
I think that Agrippa, I'm probably on this side of where I presented to you all ago the response of Agrippa, where I lean. It could be this side over here. It could be him saying, in sincerity, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. But I think myself, it's over here. Why? Why is he almost persuaded? Why isn't he altogether persuaded? We know ultimately that is God. What causes a person to halt? What causes a person to stop? It made me think of 1 Kings 18.21. You remember Elijah? There's all the prophets of Baal. There's 450 of them. Here's Elijah. There's one guy. Here's the people of Israel watching. And he says unto them, he came unto all the people, How long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. If Baal be God, then follow Him. And the people answered Him not a word. This is the kind of position I think Agrippa was put in. You know Agrippa. He wasn't able to answer him other than mockingly because of those that are around him trying to save face. To answer him in such a way. Paul says, I would that you were all together. Not just almost, but all together persuaded. I know you believe the prophets, Agrippa. I know you know these things. I know these aren't these things weren't done in the corner and you know about them. What was Paul asking of Agrippa and why couldn't he do it? He was asking him to believe. And he asked this question, do you believe? And I ask you this morning, do you believe? Do you believe? How are you going to respond? Where are you this morning? Are you Festus? It's just an incredible thing for me to grasp, comprehend, and yeah, just, yeah. You're, you're just, that's just another theory. That's you know, there's lots of things out there in the world. It's getting more and more prevalent today. People are, you know, how how do we have a basis to be able to speak to people when they don't believe that this is the word of God? How difficult that is to be able to witness and testify to people of the grace and the goodness of God when they don't believe that this is His word. I think it's just another book, just like all the other books that are out there. You know, you got Buddha and you got Hinduism and you got all these other things that are out there. There's just another book. No. This, this is the mind of God unto us. This is God breaking forth His mind unto us in a way by His Spirit that we can comprehend and it contains from front to back, from start to finish, that which God has determined is necessary for us in this lifetime to know to be consumed with and to meditate upon. But when you don't have that basis with people, how can you speak to them? Paul didn't have that basis with Festus. He had something to work with with Agrippa. You know these things. You believe these things. What I'm setting before you, Agrippa, is this. The Messiah and the Christ that was foretold of by the prophets. This one is Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. This is Him. He's the Christ. 
crucified. You're crazy, Paul. You're Messiah's crucified? That's pretty dumb. That's foolish. You don't understand, Festus. All this sin. What was I going to do with it? How could, how could God reconcile me unto Himself except in this way? How can this be done? How can I be made right with God? I have offended Him. I have sinned against Him. I have transgressed Him. I have persecuted His church. I have killed His saints. This is the only way that I could be made right with God. Agrippa, I know you understand these things. You're an expert in these things, these matters. At least in a mental capacity and being able to know these things and what were written, what was written. That was a stretch for Festus, but not for Agrippa. And Paul says to Agrippa, how long will you halt between two opinions? How long will you hold to Rome? How long will you save yourself? How long will you love yourself? How long will you love the things of this world more than loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, with everything that is in you? How long will you halt between two opinions? How long will you wait? Let me tell you, if you're not going to serve God, you might as well go after this world with all the gusto you can. Don't worry about what people think about you. Don't try to keep up, you know, an outward shell of an appearance of, of, of being righteous or of being religious. If you don't believe, if you're not going to receive, if you're not going to confess, if you're not going to repent, and I believe the things that are written in this book unto us. If Baal's God, go after Him. Serve Him. Do you believe? Seems we have here an almost Christian. But there's not so much, there's not such a thing as an almost Christian. You barely made it in just by the skin of your teeth. I think an almost Christian is a person who has, they're inclined somewhat for various reasons to religion, but they're real cautious about how far they go. You see, I've got all these things that my heart loves. And I can only go so far and retain those things. And the problem is, God declares unto us that we can't serve Him in mammon. That was the problem with the rich young ruler, wasn't it? He couldn't serve God. What lack I yet? Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me, the Lord said. You'll have treasure in heaven. kind of treasure what is your treasure what does your heart long for and seek after I tell you treasure enough for me but God having revealed himself to me in the way that he has treasure enough for me is that 
that I would just be able to be in His presence for eternity. Crowns, you know, streets of gold, sea of glass, gates of pearl. Wonderful. If, if those things are, you know, in a, in a sense, reality, I mean, if that's really what we'll see, the thing is much greater than that is to be in the presence of the King. To be privileged to be in His presence. To be privileged to be able to praise and glorify Him with a right mind. To be clothed upon with our body from heaven. I think about the Gadarenes demoniac. You know, in, a, in a physical sense, there he was, the Bible says, clothed and in his right mind before God. And, and yes, I have been given a right mind towards God here, but there it will be perfected. There it will be it will be free and cleansed from every evil thought. And I will be able to enter into worship and praise and adoration like I never have been able to before. There's treasure. We can't serve God in mammon. But this man's careful not to go too far. If he went too far, he'd lose face before the Romans. What a sad thing to give up eternity for. The fear of what other people think. Or the rich young ruler. What a sad thing to give up eternity for. For the pleasures and the riches and the cares of this life. John, it's like we were talking about the parable of the sower. I think one day, either to or from Wednesday night service. I mean, the almost Christian, you can put him in any one of those three categories before the good soul. You can put him as the wayside soul. Here he sits. He hears the word of God proclaimed. The gospel is presented unto him. He walks out the door and forgets what he heard. The devil just snatches it away. We've got the stony ground. It has no, no depth. Springs up for a little while. But as soon as any kind of persecution arises, as soon as any kind of offense arises, because of the gospel, fall away. Then there's that thorny soil. The cares and the pleasures of this world choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. God's looking for fruit. Are you an almost Christian? Are you almost persuaded? Have you sprung up? Rejoiced in some of the things that you've heard? Where's the fruit? Is there a changed heart? Are you still the same person that you were? Can you love the things you once loved? Can you hate the things that you, you know, once, once loved? Can you love the things you once hated, like I just said, and hate the things you once loved before you came to Christ? Or are you just enjoying a form of religion, but you've not experienced the power of godliness in your life, in your heart? That's, that's the real thing. I got to talk to, um, some of you know the axioms. They have, uh, if Teresa was here, she'd tell me, I can't, I have trouble remembering how many children, y'all remember how many children they have. They got a whole bunch of boys. One of them's name's Andrew. 
brought up in church all of his life. Could tell you things about God. The Lord recently converted him. Well, his father was beaming. In fact, Andrew came up to Brother Woodruff. When Brother Woodruff got there, stepped up to him and said, You can call me your brother. You can call me your brother. The power of godliness in his heart. Somewhat of that, that cup. And our Lord shrinking from drinking that corruption and iniquity. When you have a changed heart, you shrink away from those things. You desire righteousness and holiness and the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And you want to produce fruit and glorify God and witness and testify unto those around you of the grace that has been shown unto you. You don't find pleasure in the sin. So is it just a form? Is there fear of man? Is there pleasures of this world? What a thing to give up the pleasures of eternal life for. The fear of man, loving, honor, praise of men. The Lord said, how can you love me who receive honor one of another? Is heaven so small to them? Is eternal life of such little value and such a light thing unto them? Is living in the presence of our Lord in righteousness and holiness forever of no greater value? That they could let these things slip that they hear? walk out and forget them that they could be offended by persecution the Lord says is going to come that we ought to count the cost before we build that they could allow the cares and pleasures of this world to choke out the word and they become unfruitful they could return like the dog to his vomit and the sow to her wallowing in the mire the Lord said if any man draw back my soul have no pleasure in him Can we go too far in this thing? You know, Agrippa was afraid. I can't go too far. Let's say that he did respond as this man. Paul, almost you persuade me. But I can't go any further. I can't. I can't go all the way. I can't be altogether persuaded. You know, I have this, I have this title. I have this place. I have this prominence. I have this position. I have these riches. Can't go any further. I love these things too much. In the Proverbs, the wisdom that we find there, we find the Lord saying, My son, give me thy heart. Agrippa says, I can't. Maybe he's this man. I'm almost persuaded. I just can't quite come to do it. He must have all of your heart or none of it. Which 
We are to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. What do I need to be crying out? Lord, take all my heart. Like we've seen, take my life and let it be. Let it be consecrated to You, completely, wholly, utterly. Be, be the rising of the sun and the setting of the same unto me. Be my first thought. Be my vision. Be my first thought in the morning. Be my, my last thought at night. And everything in between. Let me enjoy more of the joy of God than I've ever known before. We've, we've not apprehended. We've not attained. We've not reached the fullness of it. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. You've not gotten there yet. John, there's so much more. You know, there's so much more than what the Lord has, has revealed unto you. you know, we don't need to think that we've attained. I don't need to think that I've attained. How much more? I was listening to Brother Conrad, and he said that, um, who was it? B.B. Caldwell told him, he said, Conrad, he said, don't put your best sermons in books. He said, if you use your best material in the books, then people are going to read it, and when you go to the places, you don't have anything to preach. Brother Conrad said, I poured everything I could into those books. And he said, the Lord kept giving and giving and giving more and more and more. And haven't you found it to be so? As you meditate upon the Word of God, you've seen that verse of Scripture how many times, and the Lord shows you another aspect that you've never seen. And the Lord shows you more of His excellency that you've not seen. We need a daily endeavor to give ourselves up, yield ourselves up more and more unto Him. Watching, praying, seeking, finding, knocking, having it open for us, aspiring to further degrees of purity. Holiness, being more and more conformed in the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Looking for and hastening the day when we will forevermore be with Him. At whose right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let's stand. How valuable is it unto you? Almost persuaded or altogether persuaded? I am altogether persuaded. This is right. This is truth. You're right, Paul. This is soberness. This is the thing that I must, I must set my heart to seek after and to know. And here the Apostle Paul, all these letters, these epistles that he wrote, and yet he says that I may know him. That I may know Him. The power of His resurrection. That I may know the hope that is in Christ. So little. So little of the excellency of God. So little of the knowledge of God we have. And yet so much. So much more than others around us do not have. So, I borrow from one of Brother Conrad's titles. 
on one of his messages, too much or not enough? Too much or not enough? For Agrippa, too much. Too much, Paul. For Festus, you're crazy, Paul. Too much. I hope for you and for me it is not enough. Give me more. Give me more. Amen.